I'm quite sorry I missed worshiping with you guys last weekend. I was at a wedding in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Followed immediately. That's right. That's right, Ruth, for, for Sean and Katie Olson. So I was, I was there, um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, followed by immediately getting uh, some type of bug which sidelined me. And man, I had forgotten how cold it feels anywhere near Canada. Just all along that, like walking out into a meat locker from the airport. (laughs) I'd also forgotten how down-to-earth people in cold places often are. And I know that's maybe a generalization, and forgive me for that, but it seems to be the case. i got a theory on that, that it's almost like freezing conditions help them more accurately see a person's limitations, right? Sub-zero temperatures, you know you aren't invincible. (laughs) And I, I, yeah, and while I was there, I got to know a couple who was down to earth, uh, part of the bridal party, and we, we hit it off really quickly. Within 36 hours, I, I'd heard a bit of their story, actually 72 hours, sorry. 72 hours, I heard a bit of their story, share with them my own journey with Jesus, and by, by late into the wedding reception, I was using a cocktail napkin I grabbed to, to outline God's story, the good news about Jesus. And to be honest with you guys, it did not end well. And then that's important, by the way, for us just to sign up to remember that as we talk about three-story evangelism and, and, and hearing stories and sharing our story and sharing God's story, we're not promised it will end well. We're promised that God is with us and that we're pleasing him through our obedience, but it doesn't always end well. Well, each of them said they believed in science, not Christianity, right? And we could do a whole other talk on that as if those two are mutually incompatible, but, you know, I believe in science, not Christianity, and so she likes me rather than stop talking about religion because someone's going to get their feelings hurt. Was I being overbearing? Perhaps I was, I was pushing my faith onto someone else. Yet, you know, I can't help but think what a friend of mine said to me at university. He said, you know, man, you believe in Jesus. And you believe he's the key to eternal life. But after four years, you didn't really care enough about me to share that. How can we say we love someone to, to the uttermost and, and not share the key to eternal life, the key to go from death to life? Yeah, it's important. It's important to develop a relationship. I get that side of the argument. It's true. But we're never told when in the relationship the opportunity is going to present itself. Sometimes it's within an hour on an airplane, right? That's the time you have and the opening that's there. Other times, it's perhaps a, a year of working together on a project or in the office. comes your opportunity. Sometimes it's within 72 hours during a wedding re- weekend. Other times, it's over a period of, of just a few weeks. Now, that's what happened in the case of my good friend, Linda Muir, now Linda Millette. Nico and Linda attended Sunrise for, for about two and a half years, and I had the honor of getting to do their premarital counseling and their wedding Some of you guys know Nico and Linda. They're now in Australia, but many of you don't know Linda's story. She gave me permission to share it, so I will. Uh, Linda grew up uh, going to Catholic school where she heard only about religious rules, not about a real relationship. And this understandably turned her off. She She thought Christians were fairly ignorant as well, just from caricatures drawn out from friends and otherwise and media. However, a few university friends showed her the love of Jesus, and not only that, they showed her that it was genuine. 
She thought they were kind of being fake at first. And then as she recognized these are intelligent people who go through struggles that actually have something in their life, she started to listen. One friend in particular would bump around a room and take, take time to listen to Linda's thoughts and hear her own stories. Then Linda moved to Cayman. KPMG sent a young man named Nico to pick her up from the Owen Roberts Airport. Nico got to talking with her and saw an opportunity, so he spoke up. Now, I'm going to unpack Linda's story more, but, but I want to do so alongside Scripture, if that's okay with you guys. So if you would, we're going to open to Scripture. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to read verses 11 through 21. Uh, That's going to be on page 827 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided, but it'll also be up on the screen behind me. So it's in Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We try to persuade others to Jesus. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, in other words, if we are kind of crazy, it is for God. If we seem crazy, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we are convinced of this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. There are three things I want to draw out here from God's word. I want us to be able to prepare ourselves to share. Then I want to help us prepare the other person to hear. And finally, we're going to find a napkin and learn how to start sharing. So first, prepare yourself to share. Paul explains to the Corinthians that there are two emotions that need to grip our hearts if we're going to be ready to share. It can't just be something mental. It has to be something that grips our entire being and that people would see it as we share. So the first emotion is the fear of displeasing Jesus, right? We see that in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. Paul and company, don't just, don't just speculate They know the scene because they've replayed it in their minds that meeting Jesus at the judgment seat, and they fear hearing, Paul, you're a citizen, but you haven't been my ambassador. 
Because by grace, you're a citizen of the kingdom, free, no questions asked. But when you live life on this earth, you are not my ambassador. And Paul so desperately wants to hear, well done. He doesn't want to fail Jesus. Every once in a while, it is good to think of life and to think how we're being around our friends, neighbors, and coworkers from a fear angle. That, that Jesus will one day represent me to God, so do I this day represent Jesus to others. Right? So one day, we'll be at the judgment seat, and Jesus will be like, okay, here's Ryan. Yes, flaws, sin aplenty, weaknesses, bonehead decisions. He falls short, but I'm representing him. I, I was his substitute, and he will represent us before God. So do I, Ryan, this day represent Jesus to others. God uses us as representatives, as ambassadors. Is he big enough and important enough in my life? Do I want to hear from him well done one day enough to make me want to share with someone I know? But there's another emotion. That is the love of Christ, right? For the love of Christ controls us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So there's another scene where that Paul and company have replayed in their mind. It's a scene from the past, isn't it? Jesus Christ crucified. God's most tangible proof that he loves us to the point he bleeds for us. Jesus Christ crucified convinces Paul that this kind of love was available for everyone, and it was worth losing a few friends. It was worth at times being alienated. It was certainly worth having some awkward conversations where there's pauses and people tell you things like, hey, let's stop talking about this. I believe in science, not Christianity. It's worth it. It's worth it. My friend Nico picked up Linda from the airport. They talked, they got some food, and they decided to hang out again. Nico shared with Linda he was going to church, this church called Sunrise on Sunday, and saw, you know, you want to go with And that's when she learned, or he learned, that she didn't grow up in church. And in fact, she really didn't know much about Jesus. She only knew about the characters she heard through popular media and opinions of her friends. And it would have been easy at that point to pack it in. She's not interested. Pack it in, move on, right? Not offend anyone. But pleasing God had become so much bigger to Nico this point in his life. He had been thinking about how God had saved and rescued him. When he was a 13-year-old boy, he trusted Jesus. And how was he representing Jesus to others? He was thinking about that, as he told me. And so instead of shutting down and going dark, Nico actually spoke up. He went about it wisely. In a sense, he, he prepared Linda to hear what he wanted to communicate to her. And so that's what we need to do too, prepare them to hear. Verse 16 says something interesting. Is that Paul says, from now on, we regard nobody according to the flesh. We once looked at Jesus according to the flesh. Linda looked at Jesus that way. Jesus is just a man. Though those who've been saved by Christ, we regard Jesus thus no longer. Neither should we regard people like that. And people, Linda, for example, she wasn't just another person. She has a spirit and a soul that can connect with God. It's just that at this point in her life, she stood against God. Her standing with God was on the side of death, not on the side of life. She's not just another girl or person he picked up from the airport or work colleague. She's someone who has a a potential and, in fact, will have eternal life. It's just going to be separated from God or with God. That's the way 
Nico was starting to think. How do we prepare people to hear the good news about Jesus? How do we gain a hearing? People hear much in our society, listen little. One of my favorite authors, Oz Guinness, says that no generation has had to forget as much as ours. Right? Because we have an information glut. Anything available at our fingertips globally. And so we have this attention span of five minutes or less for any one topic. In fact, you can look at articles online now. They'll actually tell you the reading time, three minutes. So it'll be like, okay, got it. So how can we explain to someone the good news about Jesus and all that God has done for us? I think first, we have to encourage the other person to get talking, to get invested. Get them talking. Prompt them to meaningfully share. That goes a long way in getting them invested in the conversation. Nico told Linda he went to this church called Sunrise. He introduced her to me the first time they came. She was nervous. But one of the things both Nico and I started doing immediately after the service is we just sat down, over got a little bit of coffee, and we heard her story. We asked her about, what's your story? Tell us about your spiritual journey. And that's really where it all started. Two weeks ago, guys, I, I introduced you the concept of the birth line the birth line concept to you. It's based on Jesus teaching about new birth in John chapter 3, how, how spiritual birth parallels physical birth, right? And that's a way to meaningfully get someone to start talking about where they are in their spiritual journey, to mark on a line, here's where I'm at, and start talking about it. So I encourage you, if you didn't listen to that, go back on our, our website. You can go back and listen to that sermon two weeks ago. And I want to also to advocate the wisdom of not, not just vaguely saying, hey, share with me your spiritual journey, but actually drawing something out, giving them a place to start, something like the birth line. Now, Nico eventually worked up the courage not only to hear Linda's story and prompt her to share that, but also share with him his own spiritual journey when he trusted Christ at age 13 and how Jesus had transformed his life. And last week, Pastor Brett spoke about sharing one's story, one's own story, using the example of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And organizing your story can be very simple, simple as thinking before Jesus and after. Before you knew Jesus, how Jesus intervened in your life, and how your life has been different afterwards. And I'm about to give you a third tool this morning for your, your missionary toolbox, okay? Not in every, but in most situations, I believe It is wise to first listen to someone else's story, get them talking, okay? Then share your story. Then make sure, make sure you share God's story, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. I've spoken uh, with a number of people who wanted to become Christians. They said, Ryan, I want to become a Christian, which is awesome. And I get like all tingly all over. I'm like, yes, let's do this. This is what I live for. It's a rush. But before I pray with them to trust Jesus or assure them of their salvation, I try to pull out a napkin and visually draw out for them the good news about Jesus. Help them see what God has done for them. So I want to encourage you. Here's our third point this morning is find a napkin and start sharing. So Linda, she was getting interested. Nico had shared her story. We had listened to her story. She was getting interested. So we all agreed to go out the next Tuesday after a Sunday service, we'd go out for lunch, just during a lunch break. So we went here. We had lunch at the Liberty Takeout. You know where Liberty Takeout is? Across from Cayman National Bank's sort of main headquarters. Wonderful place. Um, it's got like two places to sit. 
And uh, that's where we sat. I got where this booth. That's where Linda asked, at this booth, she asked, hey, how does someone become a Christian? So I looked for anything nearby to ride on. And whenever you're at a restaurant, coffee shop, wherever, you can always find a napkin. I always keep a little pin with me. Be ready. You can always find a napkin. So I grabbed a napkin. And I found that once a person is, is ready to hear what's required to know God or thinks they might want to start a relationship with Jesus, the next step is a fuller explanation of the good news. And there's no better way to start than with a napkin. And you've got one stapled to your bulletin this morning, right? You should have a bulletin with you and it has a napkin stapled to it. If you don't, you're going to need one this morning. So get up, walk, find a napkin. Let me tell you why it's so good to have a napkin nearby when you want to share the good news with someone. Number one, there's a 50-50 chance that person is primarily a visual learner. They're primarily a visual learner. That's how people look. They, they remember images. You may have a great book, a song, an inspirational video you want to share with someone about Jesus, but you're rarely going to be at a restaurant, pub, a coffee shop with any of those things. But you can always find a napkin. Plus, this prefabricated stuff, sending someone a video that's already been done, or a tract, or a song, it doesn't tell me how the good news has affected you, right? If this is something you really believe in with all your heart, this is the passion of your life, this is the key to eternal life that has rescued you to know God now and forever, don't just give me a piece of paper that has stuff already written on it. Show me, right? People want to see that it's affected you. Don't just hand them a book. Sometimes I get that's appropriate. But more importantly, I think people want to see that this is gripping you, that Christ's love is really controlling you. And so since everyone has napkins, napkins are almost always nearby, you can use these to show people. And today's napkins, the napkins you have before you, are brought to you by Cafe Del Sol, Paperman's, Papa John's, and even a few from American Airlines because I flew home from Minnesota on that. And sometimes, you know, when you're sitting next to someone on an airplane, that's when a conversation starts. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to visually demonstrate how to share the good news on a napkin. So I want to encourage you, use your napkin, have a pen, follow along, okay? We'll start in verse 18, where Paul talks about the gospel. He says, all of this is from God. All this newness of life comes from God. So who is God? That's the first question when you want to start sharing the gospel. This whole Christianity thing, it begins and ends with God. So when we start sharing the gospel, begin with God. I try to emphasize three things about God. That God is love, God is perfect, and God is just. God is love, he's perfect, he's just. Or you could say fair. Sometimes people relate to that word better. So as I draw this out on a napkin, I draw God, as you'll see here above, in this sort of cloud shape, all right? Because God is spiritual, and I want to emphasize that he's totally other than us. Things that we do well because we're made in his image, God does perfectly. He is other than us. So, for example, we might love others. God's love, though, endures forever. And when, as, as I'm sharing this, by the way, I like to jot down Scripture along the way. Why do I jot down Scripture? Just Scripture references. A few reasons. Assuming you don't use the napkin to wipe, to wipe the, the latte, you know, from your cup or from your mouth, I give the napkin to them afterwards, right? And when you give the napkin to somebody afterwards, they might keep it. And they may look at, up those scripture references later. For example, if you Google John, 1 John 4, 8, which I'm going to mention in a little bit, you'll get a reliable Bible translation. 
and people will see that scripture again. Another reason I jot down scripture is that people want to know that what you're saying is worth their time. They want to know it's not just your opinion, but this comes from another source, an authoritative source, even a source that's been respected for at least 2,000 years, the Old Testament longer. So it's not just you talking, it's the Word of God talking. And that has an effect. That's another reason. Scripture itself, as you speak it, it is powerful. Isaiah 55 says that God's word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish what he desires. It will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. And you better believe he sent his word to save people, to rescue them from death to life. So we have all these assurances, and this is one of the reasons I do use God's word as I go along. Okay? So I want to communicate God is loving. God is perfect. God is just. So here's a couple of scriptures I use. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Very simple. God is love. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I use the word perfect rather than holy because just people don't know what you're saying when, they, when you say holy. Say that he is perfect. He has never done any wrong. There's no fault in God. So Matthew 5, 48. Then Matthew 16, 27. God will repay each person according to what he has done. God is fair. God is just. He's loving. He's perfect. He's just. God is so loving that he wanted to share that love. And so he created us in his image to be in a loving relationship with him. So you're going to see on the left here a uh, stick figure representing us. All right, I'm not a good drawer. If you want to do better, great. I find the stick figure gender neutral. Goes well. All right, so then we find out the next part of God's story. Us and our big problem. Verse 19 says that through the gospel, God no longer counted their trespasses, our trespasses against them. What are trespasses? What is sin? It's the problem every human being has. We've decided to say no to God and to his ways. We see this from the time we're born. If any of you guys have a kid, you have a child, or you have a niece or nephew, you know this. They're the best evidence that we're born wanting to say no to authority and saying no to the biggest authority, especially God, right? When your kid starts to throw that, that pumpkin Gerber baby food in your face, and you're like, how do they learn to do this? Let me tell you how they learn. They have sin inside them. We're all born with it. They're like, ugh, and they push you away, or they throw the toy that you just gave them back at you. How do they learn this? You didn't teach them. That's right, it's sin. Yes, they're cute. We love our kids, but they're also bundles full of sin. All right, so the best evidence in the world, sin is our kids. So Isaiah 53, 6 puts it this way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's a scripture I like to use. All of us know that feeling. We like doing our own thing, going our own way, living our own lives, our own decisions. God, though, has never sinned. He is totally perfect. Remember, we talked about that. God is perfect. And he cannot then be around any imperfection. He can't be around it because he would consume it. He would burn it. He would kill it because he can't be around sin. So our sin separates us from God. So I like to draw a big chasm between us and God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Usually I like to camp out a little bit here when explaining the gospel to a person, especially on a napkin. The reason I like to camp out at sin is not because I'm a old fire and brimstone preacher who likes to talk about your sin all the time. Not like that. But here's the reason, is that down the line, a lot of people make decisions for Christ, but never really came to terms with the desperateness of their situation under sin. The true 
desperateness to be rescued. A lot of people think that they're pretty good and that being pretty good is good enough and just throw a little Jesus in the mix. Throw a little God in the mix to be a better person. But that is just not true. I'll give you one story I occasionally share. An armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis, he uh, was arrested in Rapid City, South Dakota. He was better than most crooks. And in his wallet, this is a true story, police found a sheet of paper on which was written the following code. It was a, a crook code, a thief's code. He said, number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. That was rule number one. Number two, I will not rob at night. Number three, I will not wear a mask. Number four, I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. Number five, I will only flee by foot. If chased by a vehicle, I will surrender so no one gets hurt. Number six, I will only rob seven months out of the year. So he wanted to moderate himself. And then seven, I'll only rob the clearly wealthy. And this is a true story. I love to tell the story. And at the end, he said in caps, I will be better than most crooks. But of course, in the end, he was judged by the law of South Dakota. Our standard, too, is often that way. Hey, we're better than most people, but that's not God's standard. In the end, we'll be judged by God's standard. Are you better than Jesus? Are you as good as Jesus, the only one who's ever perfectly kept God's law? Uh, no, I'm not, like, I'm not Jesus. Well, that's the law we're going to be judged by at the end of the days. The consequence of not living up to that standard, God's standard, is death. Eternal separation from God. Because God is just, we didn't punish it would be less than completely just. So what I'll do is I'll draw at the bottom in that big chasm, right, like the Grand Canyon up there. I just draw in big letters, death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death because God is fair. He will give us our wages. He will pay us our salary for what we've done, what we deserve. And those wages are death. We do all kinds of things to bridge this chasm. And oftentimes I'll try to show that with a dotted line, us trying to jump across the chasm, but we fail. <laughs> Kindness to others, charity. We go to church. We're faithful to our spouse. We're generally good people. We walk dogs at the Humane Society. Saw that this morning. I almost always run them over on the way. I feel badly. Um, (laughs) Because they're always going across the... Oh, it's okay. Anyway, but when I explain to people, look, hey, all those attempts, that's like religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God to bridge that divide. We sense there's a distance between God, and so we do good things to try to get to God. Christianity is that God has reached man. God has come down and already bridged that divide through Jesus Christ. So let me tell you then about God's rescue plan. Verse 21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So in him we might become right with God, the righteousness of God. This is God's rescue plan. God is love. He loves us so much that he had a plan in mind to rescue us from death and bring us to life. But we recall that God is not only love, he's just, he's fair. He couldn't just say, well, I just forgive you, no big deal. Someone had to pay. Someone like us who lived the perfect life and could take our place without already being guilty. Someone who could stand up in the courtroom and say, even though I am not guilty, I will take the punishment. And that person is Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus neither committed sin nor had sin in his nature. He lived out God's standard perfectly. He took on the guilt, the consequence of sin on our behalf. He raised his hand. So on the cross, 
He experienced, Jesus did, God's just judgment for sin, divine wrath, total separation from him so we might become right with God. So I explain that. I draw a cross in the middle and show how Jesus bridged the gap. He bridged the chasm and allows us to be together again with God and to know him forever, very simply. Let me tell you what that rescue plan accomplishes. I usually mention three things. Number one, you get to have a new relationship, a new start, a new beginning. But not just those things, you become a new person. God is the end of the gospel. We can know God, be with him for all eternity. And it's him you were created for. Verse 11 says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for God. That's what we're created for, to look outside ourselves and live for someone else. There's a new start, total, permanent, forever forgiveness because Jesus had a right record of living. Number three, you get a new person. So new relationship, new start, new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's really good news for so many people. God the Holy Spirit comes inside of you to start to change you from the inside out. And finally, I always make sure to tell people how you can make this good news good for you. And I want to always emphasize one word, trust. There's only one requirement for becoming a Christian. For this good news, from being rescued from death to life, for knowing God now and forever, can become true for you, and that's trust. So I write trust in big letters across that napkin. John 5, 24 says, Whoever hears my word, Jesus says, Whoever hears my word and trusts, that him who sent me has eternal life, that person doesn't come into judgment but crosses from death to life. Trust is the only requirement for faith or for, for salvation. I make sure to emphasize this and reemphasize this I'm to the point, guys, where I will actually bring it up in my follow-up conversations. I'll kind of be cheesy about it and say, hey, what's the one requirement for being a Christian, for knowing God forever? I want to make sure they know it. It's not... Trust plus being a good person, or trust in going to a certain kind of church, or trust plus lots of bunch of religious activity. It is trust in the God-man Jesus Christ. What are we trusting about Jesus? That he is the God of the universe in your life. God of the universe in your life. He forever forgives the big no in your heart called sin. One of the surprising things Paul says in the passage we read this morning, verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. Now, this is interesting because he says this while training apparent Christians on how they can share God's story with others, how they can share the good news with other people. So why would he say to them, we implore you, be reconciled with God? The reality is there are some here today, some of you maybe even, and you haven't trusted your life to Jesus, and you need to be reconciled to God. And let me implore you, your situation is desperate. You must make a choice. Please make a choice. One day you'll either be brought before a perfect judge, either with your own record of right living, your own scorecard, or with Jesus. And I want to implore you to make the right choice, to choose Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to hear your good news again in a way that's visual, but also in a way that's simple and faithful. As we conclude this series, I pray that you would help us be good listeners. Help us engage people. Prompt them in a meaningful way to share with the birth line or with something else. 
It's not going to usually take one day. It's going to take multiple times. It's going to take walking alongside with this person. It's going to take sharing our story. But help us not neglect to making sure the other person understands the gospel, not just assume it. Help us take out that napkin, draw it out for them, and understand that all they need to do is trust Jesus to have life eternal forever. Encourage us. Send us out as true missionaries for you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.